0: To the dentist today. Well, I
1: was, but I, I had to postpone it. I had to make different arrangements. It's not because I'm scared. It's not because I don't want to go. <laughs> I'm fine with going to the dentist, even though I haven't been in ages. But unfortunately, due to unforeseen circumstances, I have had to postpone it. Uh, a little bit so no no
0: hilarious numb mouth for today's podcast <laughs> I have I have I have an irrational fear of the dentist nothing bad has really ever happened at the dentist but I absolutely hate it and I keep you know you keep getting those reminders oh you need to make an appointment you're like yeah teeth are fine and you get another one you're like teeth are fine and you finally think I've got to do it. So I'm actually going next week. But I'm also, I've registered the fellas for their first ever trip to the dentist. Ah. And firstly, I've got to make sure I don't pass on my irrational fear. Like I can't think of anything worse. Literally nothing worse than going to the dentist. And I'm saying to them, it's going to be amazing. We're going to sit in this chair and the chair goes up and down. And one of them, very relaxed, you could probably take all his teeth out and he'd be like, great, there's a trip to the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> the other one. I'm already starting the bribing uh, to the point where he's four, they're four, and I'm I'm probably going to have to offer to buy him a house when he's 18 or something. I mean, it, it's getting to such strong negotiating levels already and we're a week out from the going to the dentist the first time.
1: Oh, well, I'm sure it'll be fine. But isn't it difficult with irrational fears, though? Because I think no matter how hard you try not to pass it on, aren't you supposed to just pass it on anyway? Isn't that how it goes? Really?
0: What? As in? What do you mean? Isn't you know, kids know. They know. They can smell the fear on you. Oh, wow. Well, they've got no chance. Uh, are you free next Monday? Do you want to come with me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, that's what I heard. Or maybe I'm thinking of, like, lions or something. <laughs> Not making any sense. But I'm currently being really positive and smiley. But the funny thing is, as it's worked out, I'm going to my dentist in the morning. The whole numb mouth, horrible everything that's going to happen and then I come back and two hours later I pick them up from school and take them to their dentist so I'm probably going to be in mid kind of I'm gonna have post-traumatic stress at this point for the dentist and I'll be like yeah this is great and I'm gonna have to walk into the dentist's room place and uh, so um, yeah I'm not looking forward
1: to that well let's be honest no one likes going to the dentist it's just pretty rough. I know. No, I know. I know some people that don't mind. Really? They just. No, know. No, don't mind. I know some people don't mind it, but no one likes it. No one thinks, "Oh, I get to go to the dentist." It's not a fun day. It costs a lot of money. <laughs> it's always cost more money than you want it to cost, and it is just very uncomfortable. Even if it's not awful it's just not a nice process
0: and they don't even give lollies anymore I know they shouldn't because it's a dentist so why are you going to give someone a lump of sugar not for me I'm talking I mean for (laughs) for for little people (laughs) well what do they get then they've got to get something the woman on the phone says it's great I said so what can they expect so I can kind of prep them for the event or prep one of them because the other one's very chilled out um, so we're going to take them into the room. They'll sit in the chair. Chair goes up and down. The little mirror, open the mouth and they'll just count the teeth. And at the end, they get a sticker. And I'm thinking a sticker. That's not going to wash. A sticker. You know, get stickers I'm, all the time. I'm thinking major bribes, whatever, you know, whatever they want to eat for dinner, whatever this, you know. And she's like, well, we'll give them a sticker. And the children are really happy because at the end they get a sticker. I'm thinking... Wow. Okay. So, um, yeah, I haven't told them about the sticker part yet, but it's, it's, um, look, I'll report back next week. But I think it, if only for me, I think it's going to be a very traumatic day. (laughs) Yeah. But
1: also, when they get older, aren't they going to grow out of stickers? They're going to be less interested in stickers when they get to kind of seven. I don't think a sticker's going to help. Yeah, but
0: hopefully by that point, they'll, they'll, it's like routine, isn't it? There'll have been right. so many times. And as I say, the bribes are going to be huge by then. The, the things I'm having to offer one of the boys just to get him to walk into the... By seven, wow. So, uh, yeah, I know it's going to be a horrible day. Right, so so let's not think about the dentist. That's all right. I'm already thinking about it. Um, Big news, massive news, huge news in the tennis world. Maria Sharapova has said Goodbye. She has,
1: yeah. She's done. It's, it's got a mixed reaction, to be honest. What's your
0: reaction to it? Oof,
1: mixed. <laughs> That's what <laughs> I was saying.
0: <laughs> um,
1: I, I don't know it's very difficult uh sometimes I I try I quite like to try and take time to figure out where I fall with it all in general when things happen because before I kind of rush into this is what I think this is my opinion and then I start changing my mind all, over time or when th- I consider different aspects of it so I'm I try to be considered which is why I'm glad that it happened quite a few days ago <laughs> so and <laughs> a little bit of time to digest it but My reaction is mixed because her career was mixed. There are so many different elements and different layers to Maria Sharapova. I found her to not be the most likable of characters, as a lot of people on the tour, I think, found. So even just in terms of how she acted, how she was. But then you just cannot fault the way that she fought in matches and... That was what she was known for. I've never known anyone probably play their best tennis, their best points, match points down. It was just, it was just ludicrous, her mentality, her willpower. You know, Of course, when she won Wimbledon at 17, that was huge for the sport, just period. The way that she transcended the sport and was such a superstar. Biggest earning female athlete for years, just across all sports, mixing it with the men in the Forbes 100 list. There are so many great things that she did. She, of course, won five slams. There are so many things that I have not really liked about Sarah Pover. But to be honest, I think I could probably say that about every single player in that there were things that I'm really impressed by and that I love and then things that I'm not really on board with, sometimes the way they carry themselves or things that happen behind the scenes or or. That sort of thing. Probably the only exception is Andy Murray, and <laughs> I just might be. <laughs> there is a possibility, teeny weeny possibility, that I'm a little bit biased, but I won't hear a bad word about Andy Murray.
0: So let me just let me just compare to another recent retiree and Caroline Wozniacki. Were you that mixed when you look back on Wozniacki's career? Uh,
1: no, no, not as mixed. Of course, um, I think definitely a lot more positive because. I don't know. There wasn't anything majorly jarring about Wozniacki's career and, and who she was. I think she pretty much just, you know, did her thing. But I think with Sharapova, I mean, look, we haven't even got onto the the drug situation, which of course does change how you look at her career before that in hindsight, because it just naturally influences it. So that is very difficult you know I also have a lot of frustrations not even with Sharapova but with how that was dealt with and how the other players have been affected by it negatively and I've talked about that a lot in in previous episodes as well so it's a mixed bag all in all you kind of want to celebrate what she was able to achieve but I also find it uncomfortable to celebrate uh, what she achieved because of the latter part of her career and
0: what we came to know about Sharapova. So it's impossible for you and maybe for many people to look at Sharapova's career without the meldonium cloud hanging over it.
1: Yeah, and and look, I I don't understand the attitude when it comes to to doping and, you know, look I think it is worth talking about because we are talking about Maria Sharapova. I don't understand the attitude from people that they expect athletes to be whiter than white and this whole sort of like it's not in the spirit of the sport I know this isn't what happened with Sharapova it happened a little bit um, but saying it's not in the spirit of the sport to be kind of really getting up to the boundaries you know even though it's legal even though meldonium was legal for 10 years it's still not in the spirit of the sport to be taking something for heart condition when you clearly don't have a heart condition so I can I understand that point of view, but I also feel like it's just really unfair. People don't realise that athletes are just doing a job. This is their job. This is their career. They're very driven. They're very selfish. And I don't know, people, people have no problem with accountants kind of going right up against the line or or lawyers like doing anything they can within the law to, to do certain things. But for for athletes, it's like, oh, it's not in the spirit of the sport. So... I find it I find it difficult, but then it can also change your opinion of somebody, even though they shouldn't have consequences for that. So, um, I mean, look, she was taking the Meldonian for 10 years before she retired, which I see as clearly pushing up to the boundaries as, as much as you possibly can within the legal limits. So that does kind of change my opinion of her. I don't think she should be penalised for that, because it's not her fault that the rules weren't stricter. And then when the rules came in, she messed
0: up. It is It is sad in a way, isn't it, that you look back on this career and that is the cloud that hangs over it. But then did that influence what she went on to do, which was the 36 tour titles, Olympic silver medal, of five Grand Slam titles. You start thinking, well, did the meldonium use have anything to do with that? And without it, would she have got those? So it's a, it's a very hard thing to untangle to put them all separately because they've all become very intertwined with each other.
1: Yeah, and and the thing is, is that it's been quite a while now. It's been quite some time that she's been trying to come back. She keeps getting injured. She's not found anywhere near her level from before. So then, of course, naturally the questions come of, well, maybe it was incredibly useful <laughs> because if she's not reached anywhere near that level, maybe the, the the one difference is the Maldonium. I don't buy into that so much, but um, you, you can understand, as I say, people thinking that. And I mean, look, she's been a hero to many over the years. Um, she's been incredibly inspirational to a lot of people. So you don't want to take that away because... I don't think that there's any right way to respond to this sort of thing. I think it's the same with people that get caught up in any sort of scandals. If they've produced work that you enjoy, whether it's films or music or, or whatever it might be, and then it turns out that they were a really awful person and they go to prison or you know, maybe they've died and in hindsight it comes out that they were horrendous people. Like, I don't think that's any reason to... Well, I think that... Some people might react saying, oh, I'm I'm not going to touch it. I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to listen to it because I disagree with them as a person. And I think other people would also respond with, well, I understand that they're not great and they've obviously done something pretty awful, but I still really like the films and I like the music and I think that's okay as well. I don't really think there's either way to go with it. So I think that some people who respond to this and say, do you know what? cannot look at Sharapova in the same way and that's just the way it is for me that that's absolutely okay opinions to have but I also totally accept people who say look she messed up at the end of her career and it's not a great look um, but I still really appreciate everything she did before so I don't really think there's like a right or wrong way to go with it it's just where you fall.
0: What was your interaction with her, if any, when you were on the tour? Uh, well, literally zero. She didn't really interact with many people at all, to be honest. <laughs> but if you were in the same vicinity or or a tournament, was there would people talk about her in a positive or negative way? Did she literally just come in and go and you didn't really know she was there? Well, I mean, I saw her around at a couple of slams, really. That
1: was about it. And she was fine. She kept herself to herself. She wasn't overly polite to people uh, in terms of staff members that were helping her that sort of thing but she wasn't particularly rude either she just yeah she just kind of did her own thing and uh it just happened to be with other people
0: sort of around what I do respect about it or maybe that's too strong or what I do like is the fact that she retired with immediate effect uh, not not against anybody that go on a, on a whirlwind tour or they pick a few tournaments or in Caroline Wozniacki's case, understandable, she, she was going to retire where better than Australian Open where she finally captured that elusive Grand Slam title. So not against the people that do that because Caroline Wozniacki is a very outgoing character and she lived her life very much out there and had a lot of friends on tour. But I like the fact that Maria Sharapova, who did spend her whole career keeping herself to herself, when it came to tennis, just said, "Okay, I'm done. That she didn't say, you know what, I'm going to have one last hurrah. You know, her last match, therefore, was losing to to Donna Vekic in Australia. And and I quite, I I like the fact that she stayed consistent and she didn't suddenly say, well, you know, to celebrate my retirement, I'll have these tournaments and I'll end up, I don't know, US Open or whatever. So I I quite appreciate that. It's not like, look, she doesn't need the money. (laughs) She doesn't need to go on a tour to raise money. But I like the fact the statement was done. Was it Vanity Fair and Vogue? And it was her goodbye to tennis. And that's it. She's done. Yeah. And I think it's just
1: very her, isn't it? She's made the decision. She's not up for fighting anymore. That's it. She's had to fight with her body, fight with the media, fight with everything. And it was definitely because of that. I I don't think there was any other reason for it. But I would just add that I think that if she had done any sort of farewell, it would have gone down very badly in the press just because of the, the situation in terms of, as you say, it's supposed to be a celebration. And a lot of the media, I think uh, particularly the British media, would not uh, be on board with
0: that. They'd be saying, go away quietly. As Do you, probably... you think so? Because if you look at yeah. a lot of the pieces that have been written and said, yes, Meldonium comes up, but there's very positive pieces about what she did. There's been a lot of love from other players on social media. Someone made the comment and said she's never interacted this much <laughs> with her with her peers. And everyone's saying, you know, thank you and 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 what you did. And, and that's sort of saying that everyone thinks that what happened with Meldonium has covered every single thing she's ever done, not giving her the right or respect to have if she had wanted it a farewell tournament.
1: Yeah, but I, she wouldn't have wanted it anyway. As as I agree with you, I think I prefer it this way. Kind of when you are done, you are done. As I say, I totally get on board with the Wozniacki thing. I agree with you in that I mean, it was only a few weeks, so and it's a big Grand Slam, and it's the Slam that she won her first event at. So that kind of makes sense. But yeah, doing a farewell tour is quite. Um, I don't know. It it just smacks to me of somebody who doesn't want to retire. So I just feel like, well, just keep playing then, like if you don't want to stop. So, yeah, I'm not really uh, convinced about it. I could maybe understand like an exhibition match or something, something like that.
0: It's a weird one. I follow her on Instagram. I don't I don't follow that many. Um, tennis players, actually, and I follow her. And it's, it's quite interesting. She's very interactive. And you could say she does it for cynical reasons, because she's promoting her brand and the TV show she's on and what she's doing. And, you know, she is a personality. She's transcended the sport. She has a public image. So maybe everything she is doing is quite calculated. But in a lot of the stuff, it, it genuinely seems like she's having fun and she's relaxed. And I kind of wished, I mean, there's no reason why she had to, but I kind of wish she had brought a little bit of that into the tennis arena. I mean, i I interviewed her a handful of times, and I I was terrified each time. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know me. I was I was terrified of you when I first met you. I I a lot of people do scare me, but every time I've had to interview Maria Sharapova, I was like, oh god, because that she's not rude. But there's no warmth. Yeah. And one particular occasion was a few years back in Indian Wells. And in the run up to the start of the tournament, there's an Access All Areas Day where they gave you access to the the top eight female players. So there she was. And they're kind of you, you set up on this flat roof and these beautiful surroundings. And... Everyone has their little section and the player just gets taken and hello, this is Tennis Channel. Hello, this is BBC. Hello, this is whoever it is. And you normally get three or four minutes or three or four questions, whatever it is. So you know what you've got to do. And I remember she sat on this stool and I, I shook her hand and said, hello, my name is whatever. And she was polite. And then she just looked down, made no eye contact till we started. And it was four minutes, the interview. Now, unbeknownst to me, she was timing it. And so we started the interview and she was she was very polite and the answers, they didn't really tell you much. They were just very stock answers. And literally, as we hit four minutes on the nail, she stopped talking. So she'd been glancing down at her watch and she'd been kind of self-editing and literally four minutes done. That was it. I mean, there was no kind of, um, sometimes you sneak in an extra question or do you know what I mean? Sometimes if it's going well, you might just, there's one more thing you want to ask, but she made it very clear She finished her sentence. She looked down at her watch and she took off her microphone. (laughs) And I was like, "Okay, then bye. Um, Yeah. And that's (laughs) the thing
1: is that she she always kind of I I feel like the interaction that I I saw as well is that she was never polite, but never really rude. She just kind of was in that middle. Like, I'll do my job. I'll do what's required of me and I'll do it fine. and, And and but no more.
0: But I don't, I just don't get, and we've talked about this before, our characters are, are very opposite to that, we like talking to people. But I just don't know how you can go into your workplace, and she was going into it largely with the same people every day, albeit a different place, a different court, a different venue, and, and just not have some kind of interaction. I mean, it it really was... Just a job, and that's absolutely fine for people to treat it like that. I mean, um, Alexander Bublik has, has recently made comments saying, you know, he wants the money and he's playing for the money, and that's it. And some people were sort of aghast at him saying, This is why I'm doing it. Others were saying, Well, fair enough this but, is just a job but I think for people who love or have a passion about sport or whatever sport it is when you hear someone being so sort of blunt and brutal about it it's almost a little bit hurtful but yeah it's it's such a, a
1: weird thing as I say I suppose because people are so passionate about sport they expect that you're only doing it for the love of it that's it and it's just not the case and the attitude that everybody in the top 100 wants to be the best they can be is a nonsense people just want to be okay with their work-life balance like most other people and sometimes it, it it just it's not worth that extra effort like yes there are plenty of them who are trying to be the best they can possibly be but there are some especially later on in their careers that are just okay with where they're at and there are lots of stories about that and that's fine but yeah this this weird attitude towards players that um and I'm sure you must have experienced this as well with the footballers. You know, whenever they start talking about money and negotiating or, or whatever it is, they kind of get this bad reputation. But like, they should just be happy to be out there playing. And so, well, no, they everybody has a worth. Everybody has a value, um, and everybody knows what they're doing and, and how they're doing it. I mean, Sharapova has been a phenomenal businesswoman. She's earned more money than anybody in terms of female athletes. I and mean, Serena's the only one in the same league as her. And it, she absolutely nailed it. But a lot of that is because it was a job. That was that's what she's doing. She make no mistake about it. I mean, I don't know. I mean, what are your feelings about her? I mean, you've actually, you've had more interaction with her than I have.
0: Yeah, it wasn't. For, it was always very timed and very. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 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 look. I only interviewed her a handful of times. I don't feel I ever got to know her. I didn't feel there was ever any warmth. I always felt she was very professional. In the interviews that she did, she knew there were obligations that she had to fulfill. Did I love commentating on her? No. Probably a mix of, of, of the noise, of the little routine, when she turns to the back of the court, she turns around, the look up, the look down. So she wasn't, she wasn't one of my favorite people to commentate on. But I think also it's hard to split that into how much of that is because you didn't get the warmth you know, how many of those players out there that that are all sort of warm and cuddly, you like them a little bit better because maybe yeah. you know them as a person or you see sort of what they do and you're kind of like, wow. And, and maybe, maybe it's bad, maybe... Because she wasn't the friendliest and because she was kind of like, look, this is a job and goodbye. You're a bit like, oh, well, I don't think I like you that much. So it's weird to kind of separate those two as well. But she wasn't my favorite player to commentate on. I was I was quite scared when I had to go and speak to her. I really admire. But then on the other hand, I really admire what she's done. I I admire the fight. I admire the fact that with a crumbling shoulder, she's she's managed to keep going i'm just going to put meldonium to one side for a second that she's kept fighting she's worked very very hard to to keep herself in great shape to to give it a go she's worked at all these businesses you mentioned that forbes list i mean for 11 straight years she was the top earning female athlete it was only well when meldonium came in that she slipped out of that List because she did take a hit. So there's many things to admire about her. And as I say, I, I follow her on Instagram, and I, I enjoy seeing her posts and and her travels. And she seems very happy and very fulfilled. Although I guess we shouldn't take too much of that as face value. You know, uh, Instagram is all about people having these sort of wonderful lives and everything. But um no, uh, w- will I will I miss her? No, I think if I'm sort of bringing it down to everything, will I miss her? Maybe because in recent times she hasn't been around as much anymore. Um, but I I do, I do admire and respect her in many ways for what she's done and how she fought and, you know, coming over to America, being separated her mum for a couple of years because they couldn't sort out the visas and, and working at what she wanted to do and getting that success at such a young age is, I think it's incredible what she's done. Um, in many ways you know, you'd love to have seen a different side to her, but, but that was Sharapova. Um, that's how, it's how she was. Yeah, she was a she was a mixed bag before
1: yeah. before the Meldonium incident. She was a mixed bag, anyway. As a, you know, I think yeah. we both kind of agree there were elements that were just so impressive. I mean, just the way that she went about things. She inspired an entire generation of players. I remember going to Orange Bowl, uh, not myself as a player, but <laughs> as a coach, and it, it was just a load of Sharapovs. All one of these, all wearing the Sharapova <laughs> dress. They had the dangly earrings. <laughs> they had the ponytail. They had the service action. And I was thinking of all the things you're going to copy. Why copy the service motion? <laughs> That's the. It's the one bit that has destroyed her shoulder it's been a massive issue for her but you had all these kids just lined up just doing the the Sharapova look the look down the slow bounce of the ball the very disjointed service motion and of course the notorious and infamous loud shriek grunt. And we just, you just had courts and courts of it. It was just all these <laughs> players. It was amazing. And it really was that level of inspiration. And really, the only other person I've seen do that is probably Rafa. When you rock up and everybody, all these. Kids with these tiny twiglet arms have got their arms out and they, <laughs> they got the three-quarter length trousers on and they're whipping up the forehand above their head and all this sort of stuff. And again, it's like they copy that bit of the technique because it's so unique to nadal where he goes up above his head they don't realize that nadal has spent his entire career trying to get rid of that like whenever you see him practice he doesn't do it and he's got better and better at it through his career it's like <laughs> that's not the bit you want to copy um but she really you, you can't take any of, of that away from her the you know the meldonium thing of course it makes a mixed bag slightly, a a bit more sour. Unfortunately, that's just the way that it is. She broke the rules. And whether you believe it was accidental or she thought she could get away with it, people fall into lots of different camps. That's just the end of it. And I just feel really gutted for the people that she played against, the people that she beat in those particular situations and through that Australian Open. But um, yeah, look, I am going to say, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that she is not going to be particularly involved in tennis, In the future years, I think her interests lie outside of tennis. Yeah, no,
0: tennis, tennis is done. It's done. (laughs) Dead to her. Tennis, you know, she did her goodbye to tennis and she meant it. Tennis, I mean, recently there was um, an exhibition and she turned up. She wasn't playing. She was sort of there. No, tennis, tennis is done. Tennis has has given her everything. It's allowed her to create this platform and and the talent that she had and the titles that she won. Look, even when she went into making candy... And everyone was like, how can you be promoting this stuff when you're an athlete? And you know what sort of excessive sugar and stuff does? She was like, it doesn't matter. She just she just does her own thing. And she has made millions and millions and millions. And now there's chocolate coming out. She's on, I think, the American equivalent of like Dragon's Den. Is it called like Shark Tank or something? Yeah. Is that? Okay. Is that Dragon? Yeah, I think it's like yeah. similar. And you know, she's got the, the, the really severe side parting all slicked down and tied back and the sort of the big sort of shoulder padded jackets and meaning business. She's a businesswoman. She, oh, yeah. You know, the autobiography is out there and everyone sort of loved reading about that in this rivalry relationship with, with Serena Williams. She's made the money. She's played the sport. she's said goodbye. And she she doesn't need tennis anymore. No. I think that's I think with her some of the other players that that leave it do and will still be involved she doesn't need tennis she it it was you know it was the means to an end she has she's settled it seems in her personal life which is wonderful the businesses are going well the opportunities that are going to come in for her because everyone knows who maria sharapova is it's not just maria sharapova the tennis player as you said along with serena williams they've and roger federer they've transcended the sport and look, she's not going to be popping up in a commentary box <laughs> uh, anytime soon. I don't Doing think she's going to be toss, You know, they Doing, get all the legends yeah, oh. out, don't they,
1: at the WTA finals? It's <laughs> not, it's not a, it's not a and scene. And at Roland
0: Garros, they give you a bit of clay, and you come out, and out she comes. I, look, there, there might be one of those that she turns up for, but I don't think she doesn't need to do it. I don't think she wants to do it, and I think also, again, with the immediate retirement, it, it, she, I don't think she's going to be hypocritical in that sense. You know. She she treated it like a job. She was largely in and out. I don't think she's going to now start rocking up to events with big smiles, hugging everyone. You know, I I understand there was an outpouring on Twitter from from colleagues because she has inspired a lot of people. She has done a lot, and a lot of people respect her for the fact that she came, she saw, she conquered to a degree, and she left. So I kind of I get that as well. But no, she's she's done. I, look, it, not done in terms we're not going to hear from her again. But I think in terms of tennis. I think she's out of here. Do you think that Andy Murray will make a return? He's on Instagram today, hitting, but there's been talk of a possible operation to remove a growth on his hip bone that has grown in the soft tissue around the new hip. I mean, it just, he just needs a break. Oh, I know. It's just, oh. I can't, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> Seriously, I don't know how he <laughs> feels. I
1: feel bad. It's all about me. I can't take it anymore. It needs to stop. But it clearly has been, I think, different to other people that have been in this situation. Watching the Andy Murray resurfacing documentary, I remember ages ago we said we were going to watch it and then talk about it, but we never talked about it. But I have watched it. And, I mean, going through all of those processes, I mean, even the moment where he was on the phone to Leighton Hewitt, And he was, because Hewitt had had the same operation. And he said, did you have pain at this stage? I mean, we're talking, this is way back now. This is, this is not now. This is not current, but this was before when he had the original big operation. And Leighton Hewitt said, yep, no, I had it. And he said, okay. And then how long before you were back? And he said, well, it was about this amount of time. And then I was back and then I just felt absolutely great. had no issues since and all this sort of stuff. And you could just see Andy's face was like, Oh, okay, I'm having a lot of issues, uh and then, of course, had to have more surgery and 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 all this thing so it it just it seems that every surgery has gone really, really well, it's been very, very successful, and everything should be fine, and then it's just not transpired that way for him, so it, there just must be something else going on because other people have come through these operations, you know, like Bob was it Bob or Mike Bob. <laughs> Debbie Bob (laughs) to be fair now as as (laughs) confusions go that one's fair enough
0: (laughs) I just want you to keep saying Bob Mike was it Mike or Bob? Bob Bob. Mike it was Bob
1: (laughs) (laughs) no I I make some little mess ups which are a bit more ridiculous a lot of them get edited out because I edit (laughs) so (laughs) that didn't happen but um, he had it done and it was very I'm still not sure which one it was so uh, uh, Mr. Brian Bob (laughs) Bob (laughs) I was fairly certain So Bob had it done and he's obviously been relatively fine since he has come back. There are always going to be slight issues. And it's just not it's not worked out that way for Andy. Um, And uh, yeah, I just look just hopeful. He would do everything he possibly can if he ends up having to call it, which I don't think we're there yet. But if he does, that means there is no way for
0: him to get back on court. Best case scenario, he's... Entered into Miami, middle of March. That's best case scenario, because as he said, it's a weird one. It's not an injury as such, but it's something he has to manage. Is it going to settle or is this bone going to keep growing, which he has been told it might happen? And if it does, he has to wait for the bone to finish growing, then have the operation. Then you have rehab and worst case scenario, he would miss Wimbledon and then the defence of his Olympic title. At the Tokyo Olympics. So there's it, it's he's on post on Instagram out in on an indoor court practising. So you know, best case scenario, he's in Miami later this month. But it must be so frustrating. I mean it's one blow after another. I mean I just I don't know how as much and he genuinely, genuinely adores the sport, genuinely loves it. But how many blows can one person keep taking? Yeah, um, and it, it
1: it just just cannot get it sorted, can he? That's just that's it. If there was a way, he I'm sure he would. Um, the only person who's taken more blows, and we always come back to this, is Juan Martín Del Potro. Unfortunately, and his have been kind of staggered through his career, which has had obviously much more of an effect. This might end Andy's career, but um, it's kind of all really come t- towards the back end. But ah, um, oh, I just yeah. All we know is that he will not be slacking on rehab or on anything. He is the most meticulous, most professional person. And as I say, if he can't do it, he can't. his, his body won't let him. And that's got to be so incredibly frustrating, especially when you're the sort of person like Murray or like any of these professional tennis players right at the top where your entire life has been your mind overcoming your body's limits and pushing your body further and further and saying no. And when you're tired and you just wanna stop or you're jet lagged or you feel ill or you're cramping, being able to, whether it's in training or in matches, overcome it and just have that willpower that we were talking about with Sharapova she was phenomenal at it Serena as well we've got Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Murray is in there to have that level of willpower that you can just force your body to do what you want it to do and then you get to this stage where it just says no it
0: it's just, it's. I think it's just. It must be so hard to accept. So let me ask you, and I can't believe it's taken this long into this week's pod, but you were you were bigging up Acapulco, really bigging up Acapulco, and then I remember seeing the news that Kirios had pulled out. <laughs> and you were going last year Kyrgios was amazing and this and that and then Kyrios pulls out so how was your Acapulco experience? Well it was great I mean
1: it's Acapulco the beach is right there I mean beautiful <laughs> sunshine the crowds were great as well I mean there aren't many tournaments that could pull off a schedule like that where it's late every single night and it's packed um, we also had I mean I was working on the men's but we also had the Mexican wildcard Renata Zarazua doing incredibly well on the women's court so for some of the men's matches there wasn't much of a crowd but we could hear them all packed into her court <laughs> it, was, uh, it was hilarious But um, so she did really well because she reached the semi-finals I think and Heather Watson won it, congrats to Heather picking up her fourth title but uh, for the men's, well look Nadal won it so no big shock there uh, especially after Kyrgios had to pull out as I say, I love the tournament he beat Fritz in the final but Nadal absolutely cruised I'm not going to lie, I'm sorry to everybody else he had a really great match against Ketsmanovic which was great. And Kesmanovic really put in a good performance and Nadal had to play well. But the rest of the time, I hate to break it to the rest of the field, Nadal was fine. He was absolutely fine. And he was winning his matches kind of three and two, two and one, that sort of thing. Okay, Kesmanovic got five games in a set against him. But other than that, it was uh, pretty much a procession when it comes to Rafa picking up another
0: title. And while Rafa was doing that, Djokovic was doing what Djokovic does. Um, and that was sweeping up a winning in Dubai, saying afterwards, slightly tongue in cheek, or was it that his aim for the year is to go unbeaten throughout the year? <laughs> I reckon that I reckon he's being serious. It's a good aim. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
1: think it's possible. I don't think it will happen, but uh, why not? I don't think it's possible. I don't think it's possible. It's all about the clay, really, isn't it? That's the big thing.
0: And we have to remember, Indian Wells and Miami last year, Djokovic was was pretty awful. And then I know afterwards it came to light that everything was being geared up for Roland Garros to complete the second career Grand Slam. And it was almost as though that was kind of that was everything to Djokovic. At that but you know, so he can scoop up a whole lot of points over these these next two Masters events, and yeah, and he's he's looking good he's as flexible as ever as one shot image i just i don't know how any one person can be that flexible
1: i know that was i mean it's basically the full splits on oh. the slide hitting a shot it's Ugh. absolutely absurd if you haven't seen it please look at it on on twitter it's amazing but i mean if you're andy murray you've got all these issues with your hips and you're going oh, what the hell <laughs> look at this guy you can't do that <laughs> that is not possible so very frustrating again for, for Andy, but Djokovic, phenomenal. I mean, look, we had
0: two big tournaments that week. Djokovic won one, Nadal won the other. Is it any surprise? Not really. So let, let me ask you, we should say we've had a little change. I know Federer's rehabbing after the knee operation, but Dominic team is new world number three. So congratulations yeah. to him. So Djokovic, when does he lose? Over the sunshine swing on the clay? Yeah, I think he will lose in either Indian Wells or Miami. I don't think okay. he'll win both. Okay. or Which one? Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to go, he's going to lose in Indian Wells and win Miami. Okay. I think I think that way around. Okay, um, fair enough. But I think, yeah. look, he, he's he's an incredible form. And look, we talk about the new generation, but those two fellas still going strong. I've got a question from Adam. Do you want a question from Adam? Cool. Go for it. So a question for Adam. He said, um, Adam's asking about the recent 500 event in Rio and the 250 events in Marseille and Delray Beach. He said, the field in Marseille and arguably Delray Beach as well was stronger than in Rio presumably since most players don't want to play on clay before Indian Wells and Miami. So my question is, how is it decided how many points a tournament is worth? Obviously, the Grand Slams and Masters events are pretty much set in stone. But for the 250s and 500s, how is it decided? And is it possible for this to change So tournaments to sort of be promoted and demoted? Ooh, getting very political now, Adam. (laughs) There's a lot of uh, (laughs) big-wig conversations
1: which go on in, in... in that sense it's it to be honest it's just decisions there are certain criteria that tournaments need to reach to be certain levels you have to have a certain amount of courts quality of courts size of the stadium court so you can't just have a teeny tiny venue and it be a 500 it's not going to work you also have to have a certain amount of financial backing you have to be able to pay the prize money Uh, the tournament has to be able to pay people that's also very helpful so there's all of those things so if you qualify for that then you could host a tournament of that level. But then again, it has to be political. They have to decide uh, where the points need to go, uh, which tournaments need the bigger size events or which places need the bigger size events, that sort of thing. So unfortunately, I'm not privy to any of those conversations. But um, (laughs) you've got people pulling for all different sorts of things. I mean, they might go on a drive. The ATP might think we really need to promote tennis in South America we have fantastic South American players and we need better tournaments there and so that might be why they then bump up those tournaments Um, we know that on the WTA for example they've had a big push in Asia over the past decade and it's no surprise that Shenzhen won the WTA final contract and those now all the big big tournaments are, are in Asia and they've kind of swapped around some events as well we've got uh at The Grass this year, Edgbaston has been demoted from a premier event down to an international. And Berlin has come on as a new event, a new grass court event as a premier. So they've moved it to Germany and Edgebaston will now be smaller and now Edgebaston could host a bigger tournament but a lot of it is about the financial cost of it versus the ticket sales it's in the UK it competes the same week as Queen's so for ticket sales TV rights that sort of thing so it's losing in a lot of areas because Queen's is such a huge tournament and you talk about draws at tournaments I mean the Queen's draw is an absolute scandal for a 500 it's basically a master's event <laughs> without Federer but <laughs> and Zverev <laughs> that's basically it. There's a couple missing there are all these different things that, that go into it but as tournaments get bigger they cost a lot more money for the event to put on now it's not that the ATP pays that money to put the event on the tournament has to do that they have to find the money guarantee the money they need to be able to cope with it all so it's mainly practical but then if the practicalities are sorted, it just becomes a political decision.
0: Adam, thank you for that. Adam sent the question on Instagram. You can send us questions Instagram or Twitter if you so wish. And talk about Stellar lineup, the Oracle Challenger series in Indian Wells. <laughs> what a lineup they've got. From top seed Ugo Umber, who took a wild card into it, to Jack Socken on his protected ranking. We've got Yannick Sinner in there. Cameron Norrie makes the lineup. Francis TFO is in there. Misha Zverev as well. Rado Albot, Steve. Johnson, Peter Goyovchik, and Luca Pui. How about that for a challenger lineup? Wow, that's
1: so good. But this is the thing: is that that is stronger than a lot of two fifties. And that th- that's just the way that it goes. I mean, you can't ever really predict it.
0: Although we always know the Indian Wells Challenger is going to be
1: really strong, but uh, tough
0: to pick a winner out of that. It's basically because it's in Indian Wells, isn't it? I I, I said to you, I, I would, you know, I would, <laughs> I, I've always said to go back to Indian Wells. I'd sell tickets. I'd sell hot dogs. I'd do security checks at the doors. Um, it is such a it's a wonderful it's a wonderful place and a wonderful tournament. And Sasha Zverev has entered the doubles of that Challenger with his brother Misha. Yes. So, There's a little bit going. And in Monterey, which is, that's a WTA international, isn't it? We've got Venus Williams, Victoria Azarenka, I think top seed is Alina Svitolina and Kim Clijsters. Yeah, a lot going on. And Kim Clijsters has drawn
1: Joe Conta first round, I think. So that will be interesting because Kim played very well against Magarutha, but Magarutha was in superb form as uh, Magarutha can be. And... Conta's not. She hasn't played very much. She's been really struggling with injury for quite some months now. So we know how well Conta can play, but this could be really interesting. Kim's got to get a win on the board at some point. I'm not saying she's going to win against Joe because Joe is, as I say, very experienced, but she has really been struggling of late just to kind of get any matches going, any consistency going, a lot of it just because of her
0: her body. So... Um, that could be an opportunity for Kim. I know the tennis tennis calendar season never stops, does it? But I feel like it's really building up again as we get set to go into Indian Wells. And in next week's pod, we'll be getting ready to sort of go separate ways at Indian Wells. Because aren't you, are you working on the WTA for Indian Wells? Yes,
1: exactly. So we'll be alternating. So I'll be doing the women's matches. You'll be doing the men's. You'll be waiting for my matches to
0: finish. I'll be waiting for yours to finish. So we'll be cursing each other when your match goes long or my match yeah. goes long. And you'll be just like, just get on with it. That's going to be a nightmare when we record next week's podcast, but we're going to source out at some point. I know, I know you don't have to go to the dentist, but have you heard of World Book Day? Yeah, I have. Oh, sounds so
1: good. I did that as a kid. Did you? Yes, it's the well, Book Day is the best. Did you
0: dress up? Yes. What did you dress up as? Can you remember? Uh, Willy Wonka. <laughs> <laughs> was that because it was your favourite book or was that just an easy outfit?
1: It was a kind of an easy outfit. I think we had some sort of top hat lying around for some reason and that was pretty much it. So got myself a, some weird, borrowed like an auntie's weird coat, like a green velour coat sort
0: of thing and uh, and got a Which of course your auntie had because <laughs> uh, i only found out yesterday that this friday world book day the boys only take books in to swap so they can then pick another book but they've got to dress up as their favorite book characters and so now I'm thinking I've got to get on Amazon. I've got to order stuff. One of the boys wants to go as Where's Wally. That's great. Well, that's an easy one. Easy one. I, yeah. I may have guided him slightly down the path of Where's Wally because I thought that's straightforward, isn't it? Just going to get a couple of bits, some red and white stripes, hat, things. Off you go. And and the other one, we're, I, we're in negotiations. I spent a lot of time in negotiations with him, but we're trying to go into negotiations as to what he wants to be. So far, he's yeah. he's currently wants to be a dragon. That'd be good from a particular book or just any 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 dragon. It just wants to be it just wants to be a dragon, um, but they've got to be in it all day. So it's got to be a practical dragon, right? He can't yeah. run around with a tail and in, in a sort of in a massive dragon onesie or something all you day. Know, breathing fire, that yeah, it's not very. Well, big, that good. that <laughs> yeah, and also not good at school. So I've got to go and sort of think of things for World Book Day. Ugh. That'd be things. so cool.
1: I'll um I'll message you about it because that's really I love World Book Day. Love
0: you World the Book Day. Okay. Oh they, can you imagine the walk to school? There's just gonna be everyone sort of dressed up. One of his friends is going as a cow. There are a lot of cows and a lot of books, to be fair. So fair enough. He's just wearing a cow onesie all day. Just a chance to go to sort of school in your pajamas. So yeah, that's basically before everything kicks in with Indian Wells next week. I've got World Book Day. So I'm off to look through books and think of fairly straightforward Characters, so I can get two boys ready for World Book Day on Friday. Oh, I bet they'll look great. Alright, well, I have to go.
1: Okay, then I'm the one who has to go this week. Oh, bye. Oh. <laughs> that was it. Bye-bye <laughs> then. You said you have to go. <laughs> go. Just leave. Yeah, okay, just just leave. Okay, I'm going.
0: You've got to leave when I'm talking about World Book Day. You just go. Okay, I'm going. Bye. Bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs>